Hello and welcome to Charity Chat. Yes, this is a new voice in the podcast. I'm your host, Freya Samuelson, and I have a wonderful episode for you today from the brilliant Tom Vozzo, CEO of Homeboy Industries, which is the largest gang rehabilitation and re-entry programme in the world. Tom has a corporate background, and we talk about the lessons he's learned since entering the world of charity, and in particular, working at Homeboys. We discuss the different approach Homeboy Industries takes in ensuring it is best suited for the people it's there to serve, such as compassionate leadership and reimagining meritocracy. A huge thank you to Tom and to Work For Good who have brought you this episode today. Work For Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners and sole traders who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. So that's enough from me. Here's my chat with Tom Wozzo on how to challenge the status quo to achieve change. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Tom Vozzo, who is the CEO of Homeboy Industries in LA. So your path to charity world has been quite unusual, Tom. Um, you were previously Executive Vice President of Aramark. Uh, I've probably said that very Britishly. <laughs> A billion dollar business working in uniform and career apparel. So before we get into kind of your big change from, I, mean, I think you've been there nine years, the nine years now at Homeboy Industries, is that right? So uh, before we get into that, let's just talk about, yeah, what Homeboy Industries is and what you do. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, always a pleasure to talk about Homeboy Industries since it's meant so much to me in this second chapter of my life. Uh, Homeboy Industries is a nonprofit organization based in Los Angeles. We help former uh, gang members and the previously incarcerated people change their lives. And so it's, sim- it's simply as as people leave the prison system and the jail system and they don't want to go back running with the gang, they're looking for an alternative, a way to change your life forward. They walk through our doors at Homeboy Industries and, and we help them and we help them uh, turn their life around. And, and really many of our folks, so the two criteria to be part of Homeboy Industries, that you've been incarcerated and that you've been affiliated uh, with, with a gang. And uh, so many of these uh, men and women are, have been victims of complex trauma at a young age. And what we do is we, as we bring them in, we help them heal from their trauma. And along the way, we also, uh, it's purposeful activity. So part of the, the work is in our social enterprises. And so we teach them not just job skills, but to show up each day and to do well. So as they leave Homeboy, then they mainstream back into society. So over, it's been over 30 years, we've been doing this work. 8,000 people come through our doors uh, each and every year. And uh, I, I have just loved my time being at Homeboy Industries. Oh, amazing. Um, and so what has made it, do you believe, made it the largest and most successful gang intervention, rehabilitation and reentry program in the world? It's quite a statement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is quite a statement. Well, let me, let me cut that in half in, ten, in some senses. You know, we are we're successful. I'm going to get to that in a second. But we're in Los Angeles. Um, we pulled people from all over Los Angeles County. Los Angeles County happens to be the epicenter of gang activity in the United States and thereby gang activity in the world. So unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, gang related issues, a lot of folks in gangs. 
Uh, you know, our founder, uh, Father Greg Boyle, started this over 30 years ago uh, at Dolores Mission. He was the first stop as a Jesuit priest. And he, it was that, that was the epicenter within L.A. County of gang violence. And so uh, he saw early on trying to figure out how to get uh, these men, young men, boys out of gang life, sit upon, hit upon that simple concept. If you get them enough money for food and shelter, they're not going to the gang for food and shelter. And so that started Homeboy Industries and the jobs program and thereby the, the businesses we run. Um, and why we're successful, you know, there's a couple of ways of describing that. Uh, we know we're successful because people show up every day, come through our doors. We're, we're not, it's not mandatory. It's not part of mandated reporting from the government. Um, people want to change your life and they keep showing up. Um, we also know there has been a UCLA study that sort of measured what we did. And people part of a homeboy program only have a 30% recidivism rate, uh, which means going back into the jail system that's just versus statewide average of 70%. So numerically, we're very successful. And think about the population we're dealing with. It's, it's pretty extraordinary. But how we become successful, the secret sauce, which is true for a lot of organizations out there. But our secret sauce is as simple as uh, we, we build positive relationships and we love them. And when they walk through our door, we don't judge them for the color of their skin, for the tattoos they have on their face, for the gang they were at, for their felonies. We're just here to say we're here for you and lean into building a relationship and providing support for the first time in their life. That's what changes it all around. That's when people can start healing and move their life forward. And uh, it, it, you walk through, you walk through metaphorically, but you do walk through our doors and, and as a vibe there, you're greeted by, uh, um, our, we call them trainees, our clients, we call them trainees, but they're former gang members and, and they're from all different gangs, rival gangs, but there's a positive upbeat energy and a smile and a happiness and a joy and, that's why visitors love coming to Homeboy and, and being part of our organization. Amazing. I think I saw something about uh, thoughts for the day. What, what, how do you explain what that is? Yeah, I know. Um, you know, let me, let me put it in, the, in this context also. So I'm a, you know, I worked in corporate America for 26 years. And, and any leader in, in, in a corporate life, you, you always think about culture and how to maintain a culture. Uh, and you know, when I showed up at Homeboy Industries and I started experiencing what we call our morning meeting, I said, my gosh, this is like the perfect way to maintain a, a culture of an organization. So what we do is we, we gather in, the, in our largest gathering space, not too big, but we try to bring everybody into that space that's there that day. We read our mission statement. We read announcements, what classes are there, the therapists are here. We celebrate people, celebrate people's birthday, celebrate that they're off parole, celebrate that they got housing for the first time. And so it's a celebration of all those things. And then um, we uh, end is a rotating thought of the day and people stand up, uh, it's rotating thought for you know two to five minutes and it's just some type of affirmation or what do you wanna share with the, with the community? Uh, and after that, we, we, uh, have a, another person come up and say a prayer. And that's the only kind of prayerful religious thing we do, but it's, it's more of a spiritual thing and people who's doing it, they pray to whatever God, whichever religion they want to pray to. It's authentic, sometimes inarticulate, but really heartfelt. Uh, and, and then we end, we go off in, in our day. And so, but it's a really, uh, that 15 minutes is really terrific way of kind of locking in what we're about and the share the sense of community. You also have a part of the business which is kind of more commercial side. Um, so you've got the bakery. Is it a bakery? We have a cafe. We, cafe. Have, we have a bakery. We have a uh, you know, uh, t-shirt screening business. We have homeboy. We have an electronic recycling company as well. 
Um, and, the, and those businesses that are there, you know, I love the expression when I first joined that, uh, that Father Greg was telling me. And, it, and for me as a corporate guy, when I first come in, I, I'm hearing it, I had to think twice about what it was said. But the expression is, we, we bake bread to hire homies, we don't hire homies to bake bread, which means our businesses are there so we can provide more jobs for people. Not so much we're hiring people because we got to deliver a lot of bread. Right. And so our social enterprises are about uh, providing purposeful activity, real life work experience. And, and you think about and it's also how to help how to work in a team. Let me say it this way. Look, there are over 200 different gangs in the county of Los Angeles. Many people, all our folks come in. They have, there's gang rivalries, enemies, really with a lot of pain and trauma around it. But what we do is you think about our, our bakery where we make artisan bread all by hand. So we, we're, we are rolling dough on the table. So a gang member standing shoulder to shoulder with a rival gang member, rolling dough, making bread for that day. And that's the purpose of our social enterprise businesses is to provide those opportunities to people to, to sort of heal, form relationships and move their life forward. So, yeah, you were previously executive vice president of billion dollar business, Aramark, uniform and career apparel. So that is pretty different to what you're doing now. How did you find the shift from going corporate to charity? Uh, a big shift. Um, so Aramark is an international company worth uh, $13, $14 billion. My division was uh, nearly a $2 billion set of businesses. And I, and I say that, and I also say on the, in my division with 18,000 employees. So here I went from being a CEO of a $2 billion business to uh, you know, time in between, but CEO of Homeboy, which is an $11 million nonprofit. And it's like, there's no reason. I re recognize there's no resources around. Back in the corporate world, there's all sorts of money for resources, right? And you got to be much more scrappy uh, in the nonprofit world. Uh, um, let me first say, but why I left. So look, I knew... Uh, I love my time at Aramark. I consider myself a, a capitalist. I think well-run companies are good for our society. Uh, but, you know, but those top-line executive jobs have a certain shelf life. And, and deep down, I kind of wanted to do something different and wanted to view business in a different way, how we can help more people via business. And so uh, when a friend of mine asked me, who's on the board of Salvation Army with me, asked me to get him out of Homeboy, um, what he did was he actually invited me down to the Homegirl Cafe to have lunch. And while I'm sitting and having lunch with them, I'm looking around, seeing the folks who are working there, thinking, well, I would have never been in the corporate world, never hired former found or gang affiliated people. And yeah, I'm watching these folks work and they're working hard. They're smiling at each other. They're, they're engaging with the customers. I'm thinking, wow, this is a committed workforce. And so when uh, they asked me to get involved, I didn't want to do board work. Let me see if I can roll up my sleeves and use my business experience in a different way. And I started volunteering and just fell in love with the organization in those first few weeks because here in the context of a job, which I always thought what a well-run company is about is providing gainful, purposeful employment. Here in the context of a job, people are dramatically changing their life. But listen, I'm, I'm nine years later. I just love what I do. I love the people that's around us, the, the community that happens. It's been the hardest job I've ever had. You know, it's, it's the, in the nonprofit world, particularly human service organizations, the cost of failure 
thereby the cost of leadership making mistakes is huge because it affects people's lives dramatically, much more so than in the for-profit world. And so these jobs are hard jobs, stressful jobs, uh, but the payback's tremendous in terms of the, being around the people you can help. So what, what kind of learnings would you, do you think that you've taken from your corporate jobs into homeboys? Yeah, you know, um, uh, well, it's more also, it's both, it goes both ways, right? What would I take back? And I wrote the book about what would I, if I was to go back into the for-profit world, not that I'm tarnished any longer, but if I was to go back into the for-profit world, what lessons would I take back there for what I learned at Homeboy? And so that started me writing the book. Um, and then there's, there's many stories of that in the book. But also in the, what I learned is by listening to the clients, we call them our, our trainees, I've actually learned a lot along the way. Um, so it, it goes, it almost goes equally each way. So what did I take from the corporate world to help out homeboy was the understanding of, of how to run successful organizations. And so whether you're a nonprofit or whether you're a for-profit, whether you're uh, a governmental organization, your know, leadership and strategy and getting the right team in place is so very important. So, so for me, it, in my for-profit world, my Airmark world, you know, they invested mightily into making me a better leader. You know, all sorts of sending me to the best schools, best executive coaches, testing, new stuff to learn, seminars, all, for all those years. And so thankfully, I could take that skill set and move it into the nonprofit, into what Homeboy needed was, look, I wasn't coming in to change the mission. The mission was great. They, Homeboy was really good about getting people out of gang life, right? But it was struggling. The senior staff, there was a little bit of morale problem. The money was sort of drying up. Uh, there wasn't sort of an organization about how you kind of do we have the right people doing the right job. And so the typical stuff of leadership, setting the strategy, bringing the team along, developing a team, developing the next generation of leaders, all that needed to be in place for us to grow and excel because there's always going to be more people that we needed to serve. And so how well we managed ourselves to get to that. Uh, if we did a better job of managing ourselves to get that, we can serve more people. And so in fact, over time, we've now been able to triple the size of the organization. Part of it is finding the financial money, but without having the team in place, we can actually manage three times the amount of volume and having more people come along. We weren't going to be successful. So here we are, much larger, still core to our, core to our mission. We have, that hasn't changed and we, and we can pull that along. And what would, would you say there's anything that you had to adjust about yourself or the way that you work moving from corporate to... No, oh, yeah, there are many things for sure. <laughs> uh, Patience? Um, yeah, Patience, yeah, no, no, that's a big one. You know, it's, um, it's, it's funny. It's like what I've... And so the couple of things I would say, uh, if... And, uh, well, first of all, I would like a lot more people to leave from the corporate work to charity. Uh, it is been so wonderful for my life to have these two chapters in my life. You can learn a lot along the way. Um, and what you bring in, I say this a lot, even to volunteers. You know, we, thankfully, like I said, we have a lot of volunteers and whenever people want to volunteer, here's what I say to them. Please come on in. And as Greg told me, just come in, sit around, sit here, be part of the community. Don't think you got to be in, into action right away. And I say, look, there's a thousand things we do wrong every day. We don't return phone calls quick enough. We don't return emails. The coffee you may get would be a little cold. The service may not be so fast. 
But the one thing we know how to do without a doubt, and we do it every day, is the mission of helping people get out of gang life and help people heal. And it's all about the relationships that make that happen. And so the, the premium is, the priority is relationships with other people. And so it's not like if, as you go from the corporate world to the charity world, you, you bring your, your toolkit with you, your skill set, sure. But really what makes the success in an organization like Homeboy is humbling yourself and being in, in community, in relationship, in kinship with somebody else. And, and th- that's the difference. And, and homies are smart. I mean, people are smart. They can, they can sense somebody who's insecure, particularly for our population. All their life, they've had their finger wagged at them. They're not good enough. They're not doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. They're not going to make themselves out of it into anything. And so they don't need another person coming in wagging fingers. They just need somebody to come in and listen to what they're about. Mm-hmm. And then along the way, the, the functional skills play out. So would you say kind of the tempo from corporate to homeboys is kind of more uh, listen and learn, take it slow, let it happen kind of? Yeah, that's most definitely true. Listen and learn, take it slow, let it happen. Uh, The other thing, at least for homeboy, I mean, it is a joyous place. And, uh, you know, um, pre-pandemic, it was full of hugs. (laughs) I was in my first like five months. I've never, I was hugged so many times in those first five months compared to my whole life. Right. And that's something you can do in the corporate world, right? but it's like, it's an important part of human connection and it's in laughter and joy. And like, I would just, I can't tell you how many meetings where I would be at where it just, it would be laughter and joy. And I'm in my first sense, when particularly those first several months it was like, Oh, people aren't taking this seriously. Come on. We got important problems, but but that connection, that self-deprecating, to be with humility and to be able to laugh goes a long way to building relationships and connection mm-hmm. with, with people. Uh, that's not always about, come on, we got a task to do. Let's get it done. It's mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the ratchet it back a notch for yeah. a second. And that I can imagine that really helps to build trust as well in you and putting kind of their lives in your hands, kind of, you're going to help me. And trust that you're going to get right. somewhere because no one wants to kind of waste their time and get disheartened if it doesn't work. Uh, well, our program is people are with us for 18 months, like each the clients, because there's there's so many challenges we need to help them through that for them to become resilient enough to go back to society takes a, a lot of time and and effort and resources. But but the well, what I'm saying is the observation is you get to be you get to see the arc of somebody's life change right before you, mm-hmm. and it just. I mean, just pretty phenomenal. I mean, you know, like, and we try to fill a lot of jobs with with um, uh, people in our program. So my executive assistant, uh, now a number of years, I've had several of them, but they've all been uh, former clients or clients along the way. And the latest one, um, um, Joanna, boy, she she was with us. She have, we have a charter high school. She was with us when she was probably 16 years old, uh, in and out of youth camp in the States. That's jail, youth jail, okay. um, with gangs, with gangs who were warring with each other, single mother, been in and out of shelters because she's, she's homeless. And yet just to see how she has grown and developed and now she's matriculated. Now she's back at uh, UCLA, one of the top notch universities in wow. our country. Wow. She's in her senior year getting A's, right? Wow. But, but if you took a snapshot of her five years prior, people would just want to just dispose of her, throw her away because she's never going to amount to anything and just going to be a burden on our society. Right. But look at her. I mean, just amazing to see that transformation and see how she's grown uh, 
and her maturity and her view of life and willingness to drop the pain, but just keep moving her life forward. It's, mm. you know, there's, there's dozens and hundreds of those stories. So you're, you are actually releasing a book on the 22nd of February, um, and it's called The Homeboy Way, A Radical Approach to Business and Life. So in this book, you talk about leading with compassion, which I was really interested in. Um, and we were talking before we started recording about kind of how that's you'd think in charity world that kind of leading with compassion is just a given. But it's really when your budgets are small and your capacity is very low, it's kind of not really that common um so yeah i think it'd be really interesting for our listeners to hear about how you go about leading with compassion what you have done and any tips that you would give to people uh yeah leading compassion is an important part and uh, and it needs to fit in to, to do that it needs to fit into the values of that you have as an organization which who's going to say they don't want compassion as part of the values but actually to be declarative about it uh, is is an important first step uh, along the way, and and being a, a leader in a in a charity or in a nonprofit is so very hard because you don't have the resources, uh, particularly if you're close to the to the service side of things and, and clients are around you, and like at Homeboy, our team has a really hard task, right? Because they they got to do their functional job, but the clients are around us, the clients are with us we got to be front and center with the clients. And so we are absorbing the pain and the trauma of our clients, helping them, helping them through it by being compassionate and relational with them. Uh, but that just means our folks go home every night having absorbed someone else's trauma and pain, and that's not easy. And so uh, to do this work, um, you got to have that emotional side, you have to, the, the money side, and you got to still get the stuff done. Uh, the important part is finding balance. I know that sounds cliche, uh, but it is it is important finding those boundaries. And so, what do I say? Is the other thing I've learned at Homeboy is uh, our this has helped me so much. Our people really are changing their life uh, because they're they're leaning into that the goodness that's in them. You know, so I believe everybody has God given goodness. Everybody has God in them, and I've learned that more so being at Homeboy than anywhere else. And so, to lean into your own spirituality, to lean in your own faith is an important part. And so for me, I, my faith journey has uh, awoken, awakened, or started, uh, particularly at Homeboy Industries. And what I have found in terms of helps me find balance is, is leaning into my own spirituality. Uh, and as we talk about searching out foundational joy and helping lead others to their joy as well. And when that happens, people are more well-rounded and more well-balanced than we have then the bandwidth and the space to be compassionate with our folks. And so a long way of saying, um, which just goes against in the corporate world, because you really can't talk about spirituality and God, but oh. it's a long way of saying, you, you got to find your own balance and your own, your own spirituality. And, uh, and if you don't nurture that, uh, this, these jobs are really hard to do. If you lean into your spirituality and find joy in just the everyday interaction, you know, if you don't, it's not about goal setting. If you find joy in the everyday interaction of people, 
it, it works great. It, it happens. Um, you know, I, I, I talk in the book um, about uh, being a leader at, at a, in a, in an organization like Homeboy. And, um, and I, one of the things I kind of would take back to the corporate world is, is not to take insubordination too seriously. Right. And so I, so I remember being a homeboy and, and uh, one of our guys, one of our navigators was sort of giving mentoring advice to a, to another new trainee and he, and uh, trying to get him to do work. Cause part of when folks come into homeboy trainees come in, look, we're, we're paying them to work on themselves. They go to the case manager, anger management classes, NA classes, DV classes, right? Um, therapists. But also, some of the time, though, they're sweeping floors and washing windows to, to have some purposeful activity. So anyway, so 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 Gary was telling the guy, he was telling the story that when he first came in as a as a new trainee, Jose, his navigator, asked him, "Hey, there's some trash over there. Can you can you go pick it up?" And Gary snapped up and said, "No, you saw first. You pick it up." Yeah. And he and he was angry because Jose asked him to go pick up trash, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so what's the story tell you? I mean, it's like insubordination. So in the corporate world, what would you have done if someone was insubordinate along those lines, right? You'd go write them up and that would be in their performance plan and it would be in their file. Yeah. Right. But but this is about understanding. It's not about, I'll get it to measuring in a bit, but it's not about like sort of criticizing someone's behaviors. You got to get beyond what's the, what's gone on in that person's life. What type of pressure do they have did they, have, you know, did the parole officer call them up the day before and threaten to bring them back into jail? Do they have massive amount of debts? Does one of their homies they just get shot and now he's in the hospital? Do they have drama with a young kid and their wife that their strange wife? There's so many things going on in somebody's life that at the workplace, oh my gosh, the level of like priority of doing a good job at a workplace sometimes is so low, and insubordination pops up. But you can take that scenario. It's not just about homies or homeboys. It's like in the, anywhere in the corporate, people don't want to be mean on purpose. They don't want to be insubordinate. There's, there's something behind it, right? And so, so part of all this is learning of, of digging beyond the, what you see right in front of you and not be, and so go back to the joy thing. Let's not worry about if someone's disrespectful to me as we're talking, <laughs> feel compassionate for what they're going through. Mm-hmm. And help them through those issues, and being content and knowledgeable that's the right thing to do, and that's that brings joy is being in a relationship with somebody. What I've come to learn in the homeboy, which is different from the corporate world, is you do what's right for that individual and not worry about setting precedent for the corporation. So if 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 you're if you're having trouble today, your behavior causes trouble. You and I are talking. And, you know, it turns out that, listen, you have, you've been behind on your rent because you, you, you had some medical bills, you couldn't make rent payments. It's just the stress is there and you, and you just need $400. We, we may just, it, it, we're just going to give you that $400 to relieve you of that stress so that you can become a, become the back to work as more of a whole person thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the next day, and so that's important. That's a big first step is that we'll just give you the money to help you out, mm-hmm. right? right? If we truly understand what the situation is. Now, the next day, someone else may come to me and have a little bit of similar story and they may need the $400. And we may say, no, 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 no. There's other things going on here. Mm. And so we're not worried about setting precedent with one to help another and vice versa. It's like, we're doing what we got to do to help you individually. So um, look, homeboy is a program, we call it. It's not a job. So 
if you don't program, if you don't want to be here, if you don't want to move your life forward, now there's other people who are willing to <laughs> need mm. this role. So we mm. ask you to leave at that point. All right. Right. But, um, but if you do want to be here and you're, and we can tell it, and, but you just have all these other obstacles in your life that's affecting how well you're baking bread or sweeping floors, we're not, we're going to look past that mm-hmm. and, and really, and really just try to keep helping you along the way. Yeah. Um, I think that leads quite well into the something you talk about in your book, which is about meritocracy. You're a big advocate for ensuring people are rewarded in a way that's appropriate for them. So as you're kind of saying, I guess you're taking each person individually and making sure how you work with them is yeah appropriate for them. Uh, and the way that we traditional rank people's success is based on uh, meritocracy. So kind of through exam results and educational level, we all kind of base, we almost base people's worth on what grades they have, what education they have, which even what job they have, which is kind of terrible. Um, people are worth so much more than those very <laughs> minor things in their life. Um, and that that was kind of brought around to level the playing field between different classes and wealth and kind of if anyone had that exam result or went to different uni then we'd all be at a peg good pegging level to get where we wanted in life but you've kind of turned that on its head and said it's not really always the best way and that it's it's not always boiled down to measurements and hard work but there is more to that so um yeah how have you reimagined meritocracy at homeboy industries yeah, um, I totally get with your question. I might just want to reframe that last line. How has Humble Industries <laughs> reframed meritocracy for me? Okay. Right? Uh, <laughs> so listen, so there's a couple of angles to this. And I, I want to bring them all in um, as well. Part of me is, you know, the, the, the corporate guy that thinks he can change things, blah, 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 gets so frustrated. Listen, poverty rate in America has been the same for 45 years. Hasn't changed. All right. And so, so let's pick our heads up and say, ah, there's got to be a different way of going yeah. about this. There's got to really be a different surprising. way of going about this. Right. Um, and so how do, so my time at Homeboy is about, I've seen, and I'm putting this in the, in the U.S. America dialogue. I know a lot of your folks aren't <laughs> from the U.S., but uh, I've seen, I've seen two Americas. That's, that's not a new statement, but look, there's an America that you and I or, or folks live in, you know, do okay in life. And then there's the pot, then there's the America of the poor, the, the people in poverty, people who never get ahead. The people are victims of racial injustice, social injustice, economic injustice. They just don't get out of poverty. Mm-hmm. All our clients are in that America. They don't get out of poverty. They're in gang life because they're trying to get ahead. That obviously that doesn't work. So, okay. So there's two Americas. Uh, and is way it's the way I think about it. And I've seen up front, you know, healthcare being different, uh, um, ability to kind of rent an apartment being different, all those things. And so I'm trying to sort of say, uh, in part of this book is this anger I have about, come on, let's do something different, trying to get people to think about it differently, right? But we got to change our notions. So some of the rules to break, some of the notions to rid ourselves of is uh, that meritocracy works for all. So let me say now be more specific about that, that question. No, meritocracy doesn't work for all. It doesn't work for the poor in our country. Uh, now, it worked for me. I, I grew up, whatever, a middle-class kid. Um, 
And I, and then, you know, I worked hard, got good grades, more I worked hard and successful. I moved up life and based on my own merit, you know, yeah, I could be deemed have been successful. Right. But that doesn't work. If you're the poor, just working hard is not going to get you there. And, you know, it's like this concept of bootstrapping and Martin Luther King has his famous line that uh, it's, it's been, well, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it's, it's silly to think that people at the poor can bootstrap themselves up. They don't have bootstraps to begin with. They don't have that support structure mm-hmm. to begin with. And I see that each and every day. And so what I'm saying is it's not, so I'm trying to rid people of the notion of, because in a society, the folks we work with, one, people think, well, they just need to work harder. Why can't they get a job? Why do they got to go do crime? They don't have a support system around to get them there. You know, 90% of our clients, we work with trainees, have never held a job for more than four weeks in their life. So wow. I'm saying for society to think that we can release thousands out of the prison system and mm-hmm. they can go get a job and keep a job without all those pressures, it's just kind of silliness. And so, yeah. so I'm saying meritocracy doesn't exist for for our population. And in fact, I want the business community, what we need to do is over invest in the go hire people who traditionally been in that category of those who are poor, those who are unhoused and bring in more resources to help them do their job, to give them the latitude that, uh, that life doesn't work in a straight line, that they need a support network around and that they'll get their job done. You know, I can't tell you how many times we've had our managers or leaders who they're good leaders. They, they, they're doing great work. Uh, and they all of a sudden, the, you know, five o'clock the night before they get a call from their parole officer saying they have to report in the next day at 8 a.m. And even though they have work assignments due that day or, you know, they got to run their route or run their truck or manage their people. Oh, no. If they don't report and they're, they're violating going back in the jail system. So thankfully, at home, but we get it. So we're going to say, mm-hmm. fine, you can go to your parole parole yeah. officer but how but would other corporations do that yeah. would other corporations have someone to be late no 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 so yeah. that's the thing so you have to kind of a little bit change the rules yeah and so it's not about back to this equal thing it's not about doing everything equally so, no if you're going to really invest in in this part of society to get them employed so they can start moving up the economic ladder you got to kind of uh, change around the way you look at them and, and the last thing evaluate them talk about measurements you can't, it's measuring people. I get it from the corporate world. We've all been in those senses, those reviews and how, how you're doing, your rank, your sales, see from mm-hmm. top to bottom. I, yeah. I get it. I get it. But that notion of measuring has kind of spilled over into, uh, from the functional side to like uh, evaluating is someone a good person or a bad person? It's, mm-hmm. No, you can't measure someone's worth. Mm-hmm. To, you can't measure someone's transformation. You can't send them someone's they're, they're holding their, their, their own spirituality. You can't measure those things. People are good. People are bad people. Mm-hmm. Right now you measure their task getting done for sure, but not like it doesn't define who they are. And so on top of, you have to give extra resources to get folks who are poor to go further up the economic ladder. If you start measuring them, they're gonna, just by definition of all the struggles in life, they're going to be at the bottom and always be cycled out. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that's, that's where you have to sort of stop yourself from overly doing the, the measurement of it's them. kind of like a system that's against them and it's yeah a, a race that will exactly never right. they'll be even able to enter into because it's just unfair from the beginning yeah it's really that's interesting right. so kind of do you have to use meritocracy at all at home boys um do you, is there any kind of uh 
I wouldn't say appraisals, but kind of reviews or do you do things like that? We do do reviews, but we, we do them around our, um, our culture. Uh, hmm. you know, we, we follow a book called the four agreements and how well those people kind of stick to the, uh, those agreements of teamwork and, and, uh, being authentic with your word and, and so on and so forth. Um, it, but also may say this, and, and this is like what I, what I talk about a couple of different ways in the book and all in, in these type of dialogues is as society has is awakening more to the racial injustices that have existed and wants to do something different about it. What I'm putting out there that if you're, as you're trying to push forward to have leadership development for, for more racial equity, right? I think that what, what that means is, uh, and particularly at Homeboy, like people who would, nor- well, you would not really hire for these jobs. You have to invest and get them ready for the, for the jobs. Mm-hmm. Let me be more specific with an example. So in the in the corporate world, right, you get a promotion. Maybe it's in the charity world too. You, you know, people get a people who end up getting a promotion. The, the dynamic is like you kind of they're they're ready for the job. They're kind of doing the work of what that next job is. And then after demonstrating they can do that work for six months, nine months, then they officially get the promotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's kind of the way it, it has worked in the corporate world, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> With our folks, because they uh, they can't trust the system, they they've been uh, told all of are no good, that they've been pro- made promises and never come true. Are, are just it's just sort of deep seated in our folks. They're not going to kind of extend themselves, do that extra work. Mm-hmm. just hope of getting a promotion because they've been so disappointed their whole life with yeah. things they were pulling through for them. And so, yeah. so for me, what I've recognized is, is if they, if we think they got that skill set and that ability and maybe not ready, but actually you got to kind of go overboard and trust that they put them in the job and they'll do the job really well. They'll get there. You got to give coaching and mentoring for, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, but it's a different way of kind of looking at it. So you kind of, kind of be more, um, but uh, I guess be less risk averse and just sort of take, give, give people those roles, but give them the tools to get there and be successful. And, and that's an example of what I'm talking about. You gotta, you have to do leadership development in a much different way. And without a doubt, even good corporations know this, your management team should be as diverse as your frontline workers. Mm-hmm. In, in our case, our management team needs to be as diverse as our clients mm-hmm. that we work with whether that's racial diversity or gender diversity, all those types of diversity, yeah. right? Um, and so we've worked hard. So over 50% of our leadership team are former clients uh, wow. who've come through, the, come through our program. And uh, so, and, but that takes an effort and a commitment uh, along the way. And uh, and that's why sometimes we don't answer phones well or serve cold <laughs> coffee. <laughs> we got those struggles, but we're still going to get there. Yeah. <laughs> Must be so much more inspirational to know kind of see it in real life that people have gotten far through your program and now they're even yeah working in managerial positions um that's right so that, yeah that must be great one of the things that i think you've just mentioned was that your your reviews are based on are they based on your values correct that's really interesting i've not heard of that before kind of mm-hmm. but it makes so much sense to ensure everyone is believing in the same things and keeping to the same values that you want to ensure the core of your business yeah, um, yeah i know i mean that's one of those things at homeboy like we do things that hey, that makes a lot of sense i wish i'd done that before yeah because so many companies you have that i mean every company has brand values brand essence all this kind of you know mm-hmm. thing but you just say it it's on your website but do you like actually living it 
is not I don't think it's something that's often measured or yeah kept to it's just kind of something you just assume all your employees and everyone believes in but yeah that's really interesting part of yeah taking out of meritocracy again and basing it on core values and you know teamwork and things like that A huge thank you to Tom, that was a really great chat and I will 100% be using the phrase secret sauce from here on out. I'd really recommend looking up Homeboy Industries as one because they're obviously doing a fantastic job but also from a marketing point of view they've got a great brand and a great approach to how they talk about the people that they help. I think compassionate leadership is something we can all incorporate into our lives and it's not about being weak in any way but more about looking at a situation thinking yes I want the best out of the people that I work with but understanding that work isn't their only major commitment and pressure in life and they may need support to help reduce other things that are weighing them down. And to do this you really have to spend time getting to know people and building a relationship with them, leaning in with no judgement. Tom also talked about meritocracy and the ways it can be such a barrier for people. It really made me think about all the jobs that you see that require a degree but you really can't see why that would be more valuable than experience and passion. So I say to you, if you are looking at hiring and creating a job description, definitely think twice about whether you need a qualification or whether what's really most important is experience and passion. I also really love the idea of including values into your appraisals and reviews, so I'll definitely be taking that on board. So thanks again for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode and find it useful. And of course, please let us know your thoughts or if there's anything you'd like us to cover or may in fact have your own great story or insights that you need to be shared with the world get in touch through our website, charitychat.org.uk. Now, it's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Work For Good. Work For Good believes everyone should be able to turn the work they do into good. Through their fundraising platform, they offer charities a way to engage and work with small businesses, including founders, owners and sole traders, who want to make an impact for charities through their sales. To find out more, please visit workforgood.co.uk. Thank you also to Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Axamit for our beautiful website, and Forest of Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out now. This has been your host, Freya Samuelson. Thanks again, and speak to you soon.